This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Well, it's really lovely to be here with you, brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a great honor and privilege, and thank you for the invitation. It's been good to um, get to know you over the last few months. I think I first came, when was it? In February, wasn't it, when Mike Grater was preaching, and then I was here for a couple of months before Rita and Karis uh, arrived. And it's really wonderful that we're having these five talks on the Reformation and to be celebrating. I th- uh, Andrew, uh, Pastor Y, put up something about the Diet of Worms earlier, uh, which he strongly emphasizes, not we eat something. It's creepy and crawly at all. But we celebrate something which was really the recovery of biblical Christianity. And you saw, I think, a little bit of a video last week as an introduction and a taster. And and as Andrew Ong has just prayed, this series is not simply meant to be a historical series or about church history. You know, you might think, well, what's the relevance for me of church history from 500 years ago for us living in Singapore today? But I want to show you that it is going to be relevant because these people who lived 500 years ago, initially Martin Luther and others who followed him, asked the big question, what is it to be a biblical Christian? What does it really mean? And the questions they asked, in particular about what's called the five alones, are very, very important one. So this morning we're going to have a look at the subject of the Bible alone. That is, is the Bible clear and sufficient for us today, or do we need to add to it by church teaching, or indeed our own private interpretations? Next week we'll be looking at how can a human being be right before God? the teaching about justification by faith alone and not justification and good works. The week after, we'll be looking at our Lord Jesus Christ and asking, is Jesus alone the only way and saviour? Then we'll be looking at the grace, a big topic in the scriptures. What does it mean to be saved by grace alone? And finally, to round it off, we'll be focusing on our God. To God be the glory alone. And the important thing that uh, the Reformers focused on in these five alones is the fact that they're alone. It's not grace plus works, or it's not Jesus Christ plus plus a human figure, or anything like that. The stress is on the alone. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the scriptures. And it's a big, big topic. We could look at many, many different points on this uh, teaching of our authority is the scripture alone. That is, it's our supreme authority in matters of faith and of conduct. It also means that it's sufficient for us. We don't need to add to it at all. But the last and perhaps a very relevant topic for us today on the Bible is, is the Bible clear? Is the Bible clear? And 
I think it's a it's a normal experience of every Christians, both here in Singapore and back in the United Kingdom, that there are many different interpretations of the Scripture. Um, perhaps uh, you know you've you've noted it yourself. You're in a Bible study, and and so and the leader asks, "So what does verse four mean?" Somebody says, "Verse four means this," but another person says, "No, verse four means that." How are we supposed to decide? And it's not simply that we in a church like this can have have different views on what verse 4 or verse 5 mean. If you look around Singapore today, there are many, many different interpretations of the Bible. We have one interpretation here at this church and other churches like it, evangelical churches. But you will know from your experience of churches and of Christians here in Singapore that that's not the only interpretation. You've got the Roman Catholic Church derived, of course, and the Reformation broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. But we've also got other interpretations of the Bible, like the prosperity gospel. If you went to a prosperity gospel church this Sunday, you would actually have an interpretation very different from the one you have here. And it's not simply prosperity gospel. It's also liberal churches who will basically say, well, actually, our interpretation is completely different. We must bring the Bible up to date. It must become relevant. So how are we to decide who's right and who's wrong? It's a big and relevant question today, isn't it? Are we to trust the teaching of this church or of another church? Or should we actually trust in in ourselves and our own personal private reading? And that is why it's ever so relevant for us today, this teaching. But what I want to do in the next five talks is, first of all, to focus on a passage of the Scriptures, because, of course, ultimately we want to know what the Bible says about these topics. Then I will explain what the Reformers themselves thought about the topic before applying it at the end into our own church and our own lives. So that's where we are really going. And we're going to be looking at, uh, it's to Peter, a light in a gloomy place, a light in a gloomy place, a lamp in a gloomy place. And that's our second reading. You see, the Apostle Peter asserts that the scripture and the Apostle's teaching give spiritual light in a murky and a dark and gloomy world. Or to put it another way, the apostles and the prophets witness to the light of Christ. And that means the interpretations of those who in Peter's days were rejecting Peter's teaching, particularly about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, is quite wrong. Let me just take you through, in the next few minutes, the teaching of 2 Peter chapter 1. And it would be good if you would have your Bibles open. Um, at page 1,894 of our church Bibles, to have a look at it together. You see, Peter had an issue in those days. There were people, in even in of apostolic times, who were disagreeing and having different interpretations of the Bible with the Apostle Peter. 
You would have thought, you know, in those days, if you had an apostle like the great Simon Peter around who had been commissioned specifically by the Lord Jesus Christ, then nobody would disagree with him. But they did. In particular, these people disagreed with him when the apostle Peter prophesied that Jesus Christ was coming back. He was going to come back and he was going to judge the world, said the Apostle Peter. That's basically what 2 Peter is about. It's about the promise of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A coming which Peter said would be terrible, which would involve judgment and the world being burnt up. Now, some people didn't like that teaching. They said, oh, Peter, you're just too gloomy. It's, anyway, it's just your interpretation. We don't need to believe that Jesus is coming back in judgment. We don't want judgment and all this sort of, you know, fire and hell and stuff, this negative preaching. That's just your interpretation. What we want is love and goodness, and we just want to live our lives today and not worry about the future. This Jesus, well, he might come back, but actually he's not really going to come back, so let's not bother with that, Peter. That's the context of 2 Peter. And uh, in chapter 1, Peter writes to encourage them into a solid life of godliness. But now he, in our reading, he turns to the main question in hand. And notice what he says in verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised stories. It's just not a made-up thing. It's not as if, you know, sort of, that uh, like the rest of the world in the first century, there could be many interpretations of stories, which what, what they called myths, but rather, Peter emphasizes the point, it was clear. When we told you about the coming, that is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. How can you say that, Peter? How can you say that it's absolutely clear and certain that Jesus Christ is coming back? Peter says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. His mind goes back to the, you remember the story in the Gospels about the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ? When, when, uh, when the Lord took Peter, James and John up the mountain and there before their eyes he was transfigured in heavenly light. Well, Peter's mind goes back to that and says, look, that transfiguration is, if you're like a little trailer of the main thing the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, in the cinemas today, there are many trailers. You know, they say coming soon, uh, in one month's time, there will be this amazing film coming out or, or something. Um, we all get it all the time, isn't it? Or even we have it in our church notices, don't we? Next week, we're going to be doing this, isn't it? And Peter's saying that the transfiguration is a bit like that. Next time, everyone is going to see Jesus transfigured in glory. He's coming back, you see. And he said, I really, with James and John, saw this. Look at what he says. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the light, the heavenly light, with my own eyes. We all saw it. 
And he received glory and honor from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. That is, we heard with our ears the voice from heaven. We heard the voice of God very, very clearly. That's what Peter is saying. And what did God himself say? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Verse 17. Do you see what Peter saying? He said, we saw him clearly. We heard God's voice clearly. Therefore, it is quite clear that Jesus Christ is coming back. That is what Peter's point is. And notice in verse 18, he repeats it. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He couldn't be clearer, could he? He said, I, we really heard this voice. It was an absolutely clear. I mean, how could you get it, you know, wrong? God himself says, thunders out of heaven and says, Jesus is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Which obviously means, listen to this Jesus. Which is what, of course, Peter and the apostles did. But he says, actually, it's not just what we apostles are teaching about Jesus Christ and the gospel and the second coming. That's clear. What else is clear, he says? We've got the prophets of the Old Testament. You see, in those days, as indeed today, we find the prophets of the Old Testament really quite difficult. I know, and it's a great thing that, you know, we're, do, we're doing the Bible studies on the whole Bible, isn't it? And I think this week we are in the prophets, and that's great. Because what Peter is saying is that, well, the prophets confirm my teaching. Basically, what, again, the prophets are saying, and I think we're going to be looking at Isaiah together a little bit later in our Bible studies, is this. Isaiah, and indeed all the other great prophets, are saying, there's something great coming in the future. There's a great one coming. He's going, to, he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to bring the Holy Spirit. He's going to die for sins. He's going to rise again from the dead. And there's going to be God's kingdom will come in all its fullness. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And God's people will be blessed like they've never been blessed before. That's the message of the prophets. And Peter says, look, because I and James and John and the other apostles now have seen and heard and testified to our Lord Jesus Christ in a clear message. That confirms also the clear message of the prophets. So we've got, if you like, two clear things now. The apostles' message and the prophets' message. And together they mutually interpret one another to make things absolutely clear. That is what Peter is saying. And notice, if you like, Peter's application point in verse 19. And you will do well to pay attention to it. Notice what he says. You will do well to pay attention to the message of the Old Testament prophets. So let's not forget, brothers and sisters, when we look at our Bibles 
to ignore the Old Testament prophets. Because Peter himself says, pay attention to it. That is, read it. Think about it. Ponder on it. Meditate over it. Pray about it. And see how it links to the one clear message of the Bible. Namely, the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. It's a light shining in a dark place. Now, it's probably better translated as a gloomy or murky place. You know sometimes uh, when it's just about night time or when all twilight or early in the morning, the light isn't quite clear, is it? It's still a bit murky and gloomy. And Peter says, well, it's like a lamp or a torch today that actually shows the path in this gloomy, murky sort of place. That is what the scriptures do. And we've seen that, of course, in our Old Testament reading this morning, isn't it? Our responsive reading from the Psalm 19. What does Psalm 19 say? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It gives light to the eyes. Isn't that beautiful, isn't it? It gives us light. And other Psalms say this. Psalm 36 says this. For with you, O Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Isn't that wonderful? In the light of God, we too can see. And then you will have, you will know this favorite and wonderful verse from Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my foot and a light to my path. Imagine walking along, along the dark footpaths. How are you going to see? Basically, the psalmist says, it's your word, dear Lord. It's your word that is going to mean that I can put one foot in front of another and get to my destination, heaven itself. And then, even in Proverbs, Solomon says this, the commandment is a lamp and your teaching is a light. You see, everything, commandments, teaching, Laws, salvation, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, they're all clear and they all shine their light so that we might actually go forward and walk in the way of our Lord. That, says Peter, is the teaching of the Bible. And he says, yeah, okay, today, if you like, the word is a lamp to our feet and it's all gloomy in front of us. But notice what he says. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He has in mind an Old Testament prophecy, the prophecy of Balaam. The star of Jacob will rise. That is, the Messiah will come. A star the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened at Christmas time in the darkness? There was a star over the shepherds, wasn't there? 
and the light shone all around. And then, of course, Jesus says, I am the great morning star, and I am coming back. And he says, one day, that one day when Jesus returns in glory, everything will be light. The whole universe will shine with the light of God. And that light will flood into our dark hearts and make our hearts places of light and joy. And then he goes on. Look at this. Above all, you must understand. Notice that you must understand. This is something very, very important, says the apostle. That no prophecy of scripture, that is the Old Testament primarily he's talking about here, came about by the prophet's own interpretation. What he basically means is this. Look, actually... The Bible is so clear that actually you don't need private individuals like these false teachers who twist the message of the scriptures. Oh, they, the, you see, people in those days were saying, well, you know, Isaiah, he's so difficult. Ezekiel, he's so difficult to understand. I prefer to think of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah in this way. Now, Peter says, no, 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 no. It doesn't come like that. We can't make up our own interpretations. We can't create our own meaning on the text of the scriptures. Why? Look at verse 21. Why? Why not? Why can't we make up our own interpretations? Because prophecy never had its or origin in the human will. That is, we can't make it up. We cannot interpret it other than what the, the, the word itself says. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you see? It's his word. The prophets are not just some things, you know. It's not as if Isaiah got up one day and said, well, I think I'll have a prophecy today, you know. Well, I think I'll, I'll predict the end of the world today. It wasn't like that. It was rather the Holy Spirit came upon the prophet so that what he saw and what he wrote down was exactly what God the Holy Spirit wanted him to write down. That is why, brothers and sisters, the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, both prophet and apostles, is the clear word of God a lamp in a gloomy place until Jesus himself shines in all his glory and all will be light. Now that is at least one passage which I've tried to unpack this morning on what the Bible itself says about the Bible being clear. But now let's go on and learn from what the Reformation might have said. As you, oh, if you go back to that stage, we'll, we'll have a look at that. You see what happens in the morning? We get the morning sun coming out of the gloom. And that is like the Lord Jesus Christ shining his light, isn't it? And when he comes, all will be light. Let's go on to the the next one.
the Reformation, clear for those with enlightened eyes. Clear for those with enlightened eyes. Now, let's go back 500 years. We've gone back, if you like, 2,000 years to the time of the Apostle Peter. Now let's go back only 500 years to Europe in the 16th century. You see, at that time, the Roman Catholic Church claimed that the Bible was so unclear and such a difficult book that ordinary people can't understand it. It's too dangerous, they said, to put the Bible in the hands of the ordinary Christian in the church. No, 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 they said, they mustn't do that. They'll just misinterpret it. What you need, said the Roman Catholic Church, is us, the church, the pope, and the bishops, and the cardinals. We'll teach you what it means and make it clear to you. You can't understand this book, you see. You can't understand this. Don't worry about that. Just close the book and just listen to us. That was the message of the Roman Catholic Church. And that is one of the key debates of the Reformation. There was a very, very famous debate between these two guys. On the left is Martin Luther. I think we've seen his picture before, so you should be quite familiar with what Martin Luther looks like. He's, he took pride in the fact that he was a nice, fat German because he loved his beer and he loved his sausages. And, you know, even uh, he wrote letters to his wife when he was on business, you know, ministry trip saying the beer is good in this place or the sausages are good in this place. <laughs> and on the right here is a guy called Desiderus Erasmus who was a very, very, very clever Roman Catholic scholar. And the Pope asked Erasmus to write against Luther. And the issue that Erasmus chose was the issue of election or predestination. And basically, Erasmus started his book against Luther by saying, look, this topic of election or predestination, which we'll consider in a few weeks' time, is too difficult. It's too ambiguous. It's not clear in the Bible what it means. So let's not talk about it. You know, the Bible, well, you know, you can interpret it, though, he said, in so many different ways that we don't need to consider these serious, heavy doctrines at all. Let's just keep things simple and just focus on how to live today. To which Luther then wrote his great big response called the bondage of the will. We'll consider it again in a few weeks time. But what's important this morning is that his first section was all about saying, no, Erasmus, the Bible is clear. And basically, well, his, his, Luther's first point was this. How could the Bible be unclear since it is the word of God? How could the Bible be unclear since it's the word of God? You see, if God himself, as we've seen from 2 Peter, inspired the writings of the New Testament and indeed the Old Testament, 
How could it be unclear? Said Luther. What would be the point, said Luther, of an unclear word from God? Why would God give us an unclear word? Why would he do such a thing? Now, given that the word of God is meant to be powerful enough to change our lives, and Luther would say if he were here today, well, look at you all. Your lives have been changed by the Bible. That is proof, isn't it, that you've understood the Bible, it's powerful, and it's clear, because you wouldn't be here this morning. And then Luther went on, well, what does it say in the beginning, said Luther? God is light. What did, what did God do at the beginning of creation? He said, let there be light. And there was light, and the darkness disappeared at creation. What did Jesus Christ say? I am the light of the world. We've already considered those Bible passages themselves that testify that the Bible is light. You see, Luther's point is that God is a clear communicator. He doesn't know, need to go to ECTA Asia to make himself clear. He doesn't need to be trained in making the Bible clear. You know, it's not, you know, poor, Luther would say, well, for you, Erasmus, poor old God, he can't even make himself clear to human beings. How sad. But Luther said, no, that's not the point. God is clear. And then he went on, and it's a, a quite important point. There are two kinds of clarity, and there are two p p kinds of obscurity or unclarity. First of all, let's go on to the two ob obscurities or unclarities. Luther said there is an objective obscurity. What he means is this, look, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything. For instance, if you wanted to know about nuclear physics from the Bible, it would be unclear and obscure, because the book Bible is not about nuclear physics. You can't find nuclear physics in the pages of the Bible. So in that sense, you could say the Bible's unclear. You could also say there are some things that God's simply chosen not to reveal. You know, again, Moses says that, isn't it? The, the secret things belong to our Lord God, but the revealed things belong to us. So, for instance, we know, said Luther, that God is one and yet three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But how a being can be one and yet three, God has chosen not to reveal to our fallible, finite human minds. He's, Luther would say, look, we know for certain that Jesus is coming back. Well, when he's coming back, we don't know. God has chosen not to tell us. Yeah? So that's one type of unclarity or obscurity, would say Luther. The other one, the second type of unclarity or obscurity, is, well, basically our own fallibility and sinfulness. We can't understand the Bible because we're sinful, we're fallible, we're ignorant. And indeed, that is a very, very important point. 
Because we're sinners, we cannot understand the light of God unless God gives us his light. And indeed, we're we're also fallible human beings. We cannot understand the mind of God in simply our humanity. Let me give you an example. This week I've been, I was working on this passage of 2 Peter and the Greek in it was very difficult. I spent hours and upon hours trying to decide what two Greek words meant. Does that mean that the Bible is unclear? No. It means that I am unclear. It's I who am ignorant and can't, can't grasp the clear word. And that is something we must remember, brothers and sisters, when we're studying. If something's not clear to you, it's, well, because that is just because we're human. It's not the fault of the Bible. It's our fault, says Martin Luther. But the second thing is two types of clarity. There's an objective clarity. That is, the Bible is clear. God is a clear speaker who intended to communicate a clear message. So everything in the Bible, Luther would say, objectively speaking, is absolutely clear from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. But he also said, we need the Holy Spirit of light in order to understand the big message of Scripture. So, for us, he would say, and this is, I know it's a slightly complex point, is this, if you are born again of the Holy Spirit of light, you will see the clear, big message of the Bible. And the big message of the Bible is very, very simple and clear. It is very simple and clear, and anybody can grasp it. That is, God created everything. We've messed it up. But Jesus Christ has come to redeem us. Trust him, and one day Jesus Christ will return, and you will be with Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, there's nothing intrinsically that difficult to grasp in that big message. But we need the Holy Spirit in order to grasp it. The Spirit of light. Why? Because we're sinners stuck in darkness and ignorance. So that is, if you like, the teaching of the Reformation. Let's now turn to application. We have a clear message and a clear spirit. That is, I want to, want to end by giving some suggest, helpful, I hope, suggestions as to how we might read the Bible, both on our own and together, and indeed to hear the word preached and taught in church. That is, we must read the Bible with the eyes of faith. If you do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be able to understand the big message. So the first thing, before we even open our Bibles, is we've got to trust in Jesus Christ. The second thing, then, is to pray. That doesn't mean mechanically we have to pray every time before we open the Bible, but prayer, it recognizes 
that we human beings need the light of the Holy Spirit to teach us the words on the page. So I think that's a generally good thing. Either you you pray before we begin or pray after we finish or maybe both. That is because we acknowledge that we need the light of the Holy Spirit. And that then brings us on to the third thing. And that is we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. You know, I often when I just get stuck in the scriptures when I'm preparing a talk or a sermon, I just have to cry out, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to understand this. I just don't get it. I'm sorry. Please, please, I need your the Holy Spirit to guide me here. And that is a common experience. It should be a common experience of us. You might be reading something that's difficult in your personal quiet times. Well, you need the Holy Spirit, dependent on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing is this. Read for the main point in the context of the passage. Read for the main point in the context of the passage. And ultimately, actually, Peter has told us what the main point of the whole Bible is. The prophets look forward to Jesus Christ. The apostles tell us about Jesus Christ. And the apostles also look forward to the second coming. If we keep our eyes on the main message of Scripture, and especially upon Jesus Christ, the Spirit will be guiding us. And the last thing is this. Scripture interprets Scripture. If you find one passage difficult... Well, go back to another passage, which will make it clear. That's what Peter does here, isn't it? He says, look, you've got Old Testament and New Testament. Both interpret one another. Well, let me now come and close. You remember that day after the resurrection when two very depressed disciples were walking from Emmaus to Jerusalem. And then a stranger came beside them. And he said, what are you reading? They said, we don't even know you, but what are you asking? What, what's, haven't you been in Jerusalem that this Jesus, he's died? And then what does he say? You are so foolish. Do you not know that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead? And what did he do? He opened the scriptures to them. And then they saw him in all his glory. Opened eyes, opened scriptures, and opened minds. And the disciples say, Were not our hearts burning as he opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you've not left us in darkness, but that you have given us your glorious light. You've given us your glorious light above all in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we also have the light of the scriptures, that Old Testament and New Testament clearly point us towards the light of Christ. And please, Heavenly Father, 
may the Lord Jesus Christ himself open our minds, open our hearts by opening the scriptures to us. For his name's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.com.